Welcome to Slaughterhouse Stories. I hope you enjoy the stories I have for you tonight. Hello to all you things that go bump in the night. Hello to all you fleshbag humans as well. Welcome to the show that brings you creepypastas, short scary stories, and dark horror-themed poetry from all across the world. This is the Slaughterhouse Stories Podcast, Episode 22, The Doll in the Red Dress. I'm your host and narrator, Ghost Train, telling you to lock your doors, get under your blanket, and keep the lights on. If you want to write in and have your email right on the show, email slaughterhousestoriespodcast at gmail.com with creepypasta requests, your own horrific recommendations, or your own real-life paranormal encounters. Before we get to tonight's first story, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you're enjoying the show, please head over and leave a review through iTunes and help spread the word to your friends, family, and that strange man with the red eyes and black hat that watches you, whomever, tell them, be a listener, not a victim. Now, let's get spooky. Our opening story this week is about a book, a simple book, with no title and no author, a book that once you read it, you can never ever read it again. The book draws you in, until you can't help but open it and begin to read. Settle in for the first story of the night, and listen to Blank Book. The smell of mothballs and mold fill your mouth and nostrils as you peel the book open. The book moans, groans. The pages are yellow, with old coffee stains, and the corners are burnt. The cover is slick, with the exception of a couple of ripples and tears. The book has no title, no author, no editors, no illustrators, no critics, no fans, no beginning, no end. No one knows it exists. You flip through the ancient pages, crippled and rotten. Nothing but symbols, illegibly printed on random spots on the page. Asterisks, stars, triangles, hearts, eyes, zalgotext, numbers, binary, pig Latin, cursive. The text is smeared, unreadable. You manage to decipher tiny letters at the bottom of each page. But why? It repeats. The binary translates into. But why? The pig Latin translates into. But why? Even the cursive says. But why? No pencil can mark the pages of the book. No pen. No marker. No crayon. No paint. They are unworthy of its fragile content. No human hand can touch its pages without them yelping in pain. No animal, no monster, no god. They are unworthy of its spell, wrapped within each symbol. You flip through the pages on end, your hands burning, tears streaming, dripping onto the pages. Tears instantly evaporate, disappear, vanish. Liquids churn in your stomach, your fingernails begin to fall off. 
Your teeth turn strange shades of yellow, then gray, then black. They fall out onto your purple tongue. Your eyelids flip, then slowly fall to the floor. Blood replaces your tears. You hear your bones, clicking and clacking, breaking and snapping. The skin around your throat tightens. You stare down at the book, the pages mocking you. The Zalgo text coming off the page, text floating in the air, vanishing when the tips of your pleading, naked fingertips graze them. They zip onto your chest, where they won't bunch. Your hair begins to fall out until it's all gone. Your skin turns into a shade of yellow, the same yellow as the pages below. You tightly grasp the pages of the book, making your hands burn even more. Your hands become one with the book, turning into a page. They are fused into the binding. You lose your clothing. There goes your lunch, all over the desk, except on the book. Whatever is happening to you, it wants to get all the liquids out of you. You vomit until nothing else comes up. You begin to urinate until your bladder is empty. Your nose begins to run, dribbles down your top lip. Your sinuses are clear. Your nostrils are clear. Next thing you know, you're drooling everywhere. You drool until your mouth is dry. Dry of any more spit. You scramble away from the book, but it is fused to your hands. You fiddle with the door handle, struggling to open it. You are sweating all over. And next thing you know, you can't sweat any longer. You sit in front of the door, sobbing. You can't escape what you've started. You try to cry, but your tears are gone as well. The only thing that remains is your blood. The blood rolls down your cheeks, dribbles down your chin oozes from small slits in your skin where the fingernails used to be, splashes out from every sweat gland, from the palms of your hands, your private parts. After ten minutes of this, you fall to the floor, lifeless, spitless, vomitless, sweatless, tearless, urineless. Now this is where it gets easy. The book slowly processes your body into its pages until you're completely gone. You have been turned into another page, of the beginningless, endless book. With your last bit of life, you manage to send a small message in Zalgo binary upon your page. But why? As if I needed a reason to love books more than I already do, but one that rids the world of flesh bags. Let's open a whole library. I can already tell. That would be my second favorite book. Now, while we wait for the library of blank books to be built, let's move on to the next story of the night. From a book to a TV. The next story is about an old box-style TV and the strange light that remains after turning it off. The strange light that remains after unplugging it. If you still have one of these ancient TVs, you may want to go ahead and throw a blanket over it now. While you lean back, relax, and listen to Afterglow. How many of you have old TV sets? You know, big, boxy, and annoying in every way. I had one, just one. My nice 50-inch plasma screen crapped out on me. So recently, I've been watching my shows on the old television set. It really was a hassle. Lugging the thing from my garage to my living room, setting it up, getting new rabbit ears, the like. I've had it in my living room, 
which doubles as my bedroom because, well, I am too lazy to walk to my room most nights and I just crash on the couch. I usually stay up all hours of the night watching the TV. The last couple of nights I've noticed a very strange phenomenon, the afterglow. At first I thought nothing of it. I just thought it must have been my eyes adjusting to the darkness. So I buried my head in my pillow, relaxing and trying to sleep. I brought my head up and the afterglow remained. There on the screen, as vivid as if the thing were on, I always had irrational fears, clowns, being alone, stray branches tapping my window. But this disturbed me in a way no fear had. I got up off the couch and walked across the carpeted floor to unplug the set. I pulled the plug from the wall, and to my dismay, the glow was still there. It is a faint kind of dark light, not bright enough to illuminate anything but enough to sit like a phantom of what you had just seen, only behind the Kovacs glass. If you've seen it, you know. If you haven't, lucky you. I thought nothing more of it and went to sleep. I awoke the next morning and opened my eyes to the television. No longer creepy and weird, but just old and kind of pathetic looking. I remembered the previous night and shuddered a bit, but thought it was all in my head. That night, I did my usual ritual of staying up late watching the TV, but I again shuddered at the thought of the TV being the only thing making any noise at all in my house. I was alone, but that fear had dissipated with the years. This time, I was bound and determined to make the afterglow not happen. I pulled the plug before shutting off the TV. The afterglow was there, but different. Now, there was an egg shape in the middle of the screen. I thought it may have been from pulling the plug but I thought nothing of it and laid down, defeated by this relic of the 1970s. I laid with my face away from the television screen. Almost too afraid to look at the screen, I fell asleep, but had a terrible sleep. Nightmares plagued my slumber. Their origin was unknown. I don't even remember what they were to a point, but I do remember the background was the afterglow. Why was it so frightening? What made it so creepy? The next few nights, I just unplugged my TV from the wall after watching my shows, turned my head and laid down, facing away from the set, and not looking back at any time, fearing what I might see, the glow, the devilish horrid glow. It isn't scary. Why am I afraid? I thought over and over. I slept like this for weeks, until one night something bothered me deeply, the sound of breathing. It was labored and harsh. I held my breath to make sure it wasn't my own. I almost cried when I could still hear it. I decided to face my fear and look at the TV. That was a bad choice on my part. I had to look. I turned to the glowing screen, and in horror, I realized what the ovoid shape on my screen was. It was a face. Vague, but there, in the glossy Kovex screen, one of pure terror. It looked as if it had seen something truly terrifying. I closed my eyes, but I could still see it in my persistence of vision. I couldn't escape. I picked up the TV in my hysterical state and tossed it out the window. It crashed through the glass and broke with a loud bang. I don't watch TV anymore at night, and if you have an old, boxy TV, don't sleep near it. Ever. Well, that seemed uncalled for. The face was there, watching over the human while it slept, to keep him safe. 
And this is the thanks it gets. You humans. Your cruelty knows no end. Anyway, let's forget about the cruelty of humanity for a moment and get into this week's recommendation. For the third week in a row, I'm recommending a paranormal-centered podcast. Life Paranormal with V is a fantastic podcast. Hosted by V, listen as she recounts her own first-hand paranormal experiences, both with great detail and in a very entertaining way. She also brings guests on the show to talk about their own paranormal encounters they've experienced. Her show isn't there just to scare you either. She uses it as a way to help people learn how to cope and heal from the experiences they've had. So go to your favorite podcast site and subscribe. Because it is always spooky season on Life Paranormal with V. Now that I've given you this week's recommendation, let's take a trip down to open mic night at Basil Pomp. Welcome, fiends, to Open Mic Night at Beazel Pub, where we invite you to sit right here and go into the more poetic side of fear, poems of murder, creatures, and ghosts, all the things that scare you the most. This week at the pub, we have two shorter poems, but they are no less beautiful. The first, about the expected rewards of martyrdom and how it can go horribly wrong, and the second, written by Lord Tennyson is about one of the scariest and most talked about sea creatures of all time. So enjoy a drink, not along with the rhymes, and enjoy The Gods Must Be Crazy and The Kraken. Bound by the bane of freedom and delivered to martyrdom, God looks down upon me in pity intoxicating promises of his heavenly city. A veritable paradise forged from my desire, choked by weeds of lies and forgotten in a mire. Devotion and sacrifice left me in a rut, and I crawled back to a world of smut. Crafted from flesh so meek and mild, my faith is a stillborn child. Disillusioned by the conflict in my head, from my pores, decades of repentance bled. Justified along my brethren, Mounted on stakes, I will not crack, no matter how my body quakes. In my throes, I beheld the kingdom of God, rotting far away from his love, I yet laud. I'm still a heap of flesh and bone, singing the psalms of a blinded drone. Below the thunders of the upper deep, far, far beneath in the abysmal sea, his ancient, dreamless, uninvaded sleep, the kraken sleepeth, faintest sunlights flee. About his shadowy sides, above him swell, huge sponges of millennial growth and height, and far away into the sickly light, from many a wondrous grot and secret cell, unnumbered and enormous polypi, winnow with giant arms, the slumbering green, there hath he lain for ages, and will lie, battening upon huge sea worms in his sleep, until the latter fire shall heat the deep. Then once by man and angels to be seen, and roaring he shall rise, and on the surface, die.
humans, so quick to sacrifice themselves for uncaring divinity, but not so quick to sacrifice for each other, and yet you call us the monsters. Speaking of monsters, it was nice to see Big K making an appearance on the show. Hopefully he's listening while he's snacking with some sailors late at night. But now that the poetry is finished for the night, let's head on home, find the tiny house in the attic, and prepare for tonight's final feature. Let's go into the dollhouse. In the dollhouse tonight is a story by Allie Winner, recounting the story told to them by their teacher of a tiny island with an old run-down house. The people who lived there were cruel parents who only ever did one kind thing for their daughter. They gave her a doll, a doll in a red dress. Unfortunately, things didn't get any better for this little girl. Keep watch behind you and of your stairs while you lean back and listen to the doll in the red dress. Although I can't exactly recall every last detail on what my English teacher told my class on Halloween around two years ago, I still will never forget his real life horror story. My teacher, Mr. Smith, lived in a town near a small beach. An old, run-down house laid on a tiny island not too far from the shore. The house had a rather disturbing history. Legend has it that a family of three, a mother, a father, and a daughter, used to live in the house. The mother and father were both very cruel to the daughter and would abuse her every day. One day, however, the parents did their only decent favor for their daughter and bought her a doll with a red dress. The daughter adored the doll and would play with it every day. Both the parents were irritated to see their daughter happy so they decided to come up with a plan to wipe the smile off their daughter's face for good. While the daughter wasn't in her room, the mother snatched the doll and hid it in the house. The daughter went up to her room, only to see that her beloved doll wasn't there. The father then told the daughter that he had thrown the doll into the water. Panicking, the daughter dived into the water, searching for her doll. The parents both laughed at their struggling daughter, looking for the doll that they had the entire time. Eventually, the daughter tragically drowned in the water. The parents, being the diabolical beings that they were, weren't affected in the slightest by their daughter's death. Shortly after the incident, the parents both moved out. Since then, nobody ever bought the house, and those who explored it were treated with a chilling experience. Some people claimed to hear scratching and banging noises while in the house, giving it a creepy reputation around the town. Many thrill-seekers would travel there in the middle of the night, willing to give themselves a scare. Mr. Smith didn't want to go into the house to find out if the rumors surrounding it were true, and he never did. That was, until one day. One day, a boy named Sam had just moved in as his neighbor. Once the two met, they instantly became best friends. Sam and Mr. Smith would always have fun around the town when they were together. They'd go on adventures every single day. It was a brisk Saturday evening, and Mr. Smith and Sam were both sitting down on the beach, 
Gazing off into the sea, Sam spotted the house on the island and noticed how dilapidated and odd it looked. Hey, what's the deal with that house on the island? Asked Sam. Oh, well, it's a long story, replied Mr. Smith. Really? What happened there? Said Sam. And so, Mr. Smith told Sam the entire history of the house and the myths about it. Instead of looking creeped out, Sam looked rather excited. We should totally kayak there tomorrow, exclaimed Sam. I don't know. I've never been there before, said Mr. Smith. Come on. It's just some stupid old house. It's not like we're going to get killed doing it, said Sam. Okay, fine, muttered Mr. Smith. The two agreed to meet up tomorrow morning at the beach and take a kayak to the house. Morning came, and Mr. Smith headed to the beach. There he saw Sam at the docks, on a kayak. Come on, let's go, shouted Sam. Mr. Smith got in the kayak, and the two rowed their way to the house. Once they stepped foot onto the island, they noticed a pocket knife on one of the doorsteps. Sam then picked it up. A teenager probably left it here, said Sam. The two slowly opened the door and walked in. Inside, the house looked even more disgusting. The floorboards were slightly loose. The wallpaper was a disgusting shade of brown, and there were cobwebs at every corner. There was a staircase leading upstairs, and a room to the right. All of a sudden, the two heard a faint scratching sound. It was coming from the room to the right. The two gradually opened the door to the room and stepped inside. The room was entirely empty, apart from an icebox in the corner of the room. That was where they'd heard the scratching noises from. They both very slowly inched their way towards the icebox, the scratching getting slightly louder with each step. Just before Mr. Smith could open the icebox entirely, Sam threw the knife to the floor barely missing the icebox. The two then ran out of the room, out of the house, into the kayak, and back to the shore, rowing as fast as they could. The next day, Sam approached Mr. Smith in the morning. He offered him a deal. He'd give Mr. Smith his Red Sox hat that Sam claimed was worn by one of the players, if Mr. Smith spent the entire night in the house. Mr. Smith was hesitant at first, but was still dying for the Red Sox hat. He then agreed to the offer, he asked his parents about it, and they both approved. Mr. Smith gathered his sleeping bag, a flashlight, and some water for the night. He kayaked over to the house, just as the sky turned dark, confident that he could stay a night in the supposedly haunted house. Mr. Smith set up his sleeping bag in the entrance room of the house and decided to just lay there for the whole night. As he laid there, he could hear faint scratching noises coming from upstairs. They were the same scratching noises he heard when he and Sam first entered the house. Instead of chickening out and running off, Mr. Smith shut his eyes and covered his ears. He tried his very best to fall asleep. He covered his ears so tightly that he didn't even notice that the scratching had stopped. Eventually, he dozed off into sleep. Mr. Smith then woke up the next morning. He could tell that it was morning from the lighting of the house. He stood up, rolled up his sleeping bag, and grabbed his flashlight, ready to leave. He then saw Sam open the door. Wow, you're braver than I thought, said Sam. All of a sudden, Sam froze. He looked almost as if he was paralyzed. Mr. Smith then turned around to see what Sam was so shocked about. There, on the third step of the staircase, was a doll in a red dress, just like the one described in the legend of the house. The two slowly backed away from the staircase. 
Once they got near the door, they burst out of the house and rode as fast as they could to the shore. Ever since then, the two swore to never enter the house again. To this day, the only piece of evidence Mr. Smith has about the story is a Red Sox hat that was supposedly worn by one of the players. Whether or not Mr. Smith made up this story to give our class a scare on Halloween, it still gives me chills to this day. That poor little girl joins the ranks of the dead, all because she had parents who never should have been allowed to have children. Well, they died eventually. And let me tell you, it wasn't just the hordes of hell waiting to torture their souls. Be kind in life, flesh bags. Or suffer in death. Now I believe there's enough scares for this week. I hope you will join me again next week for more stories that are sure to keep you afraid during the day and awake at night. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the stories I had for you tonight. And until next time. <laughs> Stay spooky.